You are listening to the Pulse, Rod Murray's e-learning tech podcast. Number 188, Per Skolas, interview with Bridget Gray. Might as well be Christmas nonstop. Pretty soon they'll be hanging up lights all over town. And it was just last week I finally took mine down. Please can I get a break for my sake? All I'm asking for is one month without a fruitcake. Give me some time to recover from another year of drunken relatives and a pissed off little brother. Singing that stupid Jingle Bell song in the middle of July somehow seems wrong. I still got five months to go and I'm already sick. Hi, this is Rod Murray. Glad to be back. Well, it's that time of year again. That was a clip from The Christmas Season by Devo Spice. He's a comedy rapper from New Jersey who has become one of the most popular artists on the nationally syndicated Dr. Demento show. I think you'll enjoy it. I'll play the full song at the end of my podcast. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by D2L. You may know their main product, the Brightspace Learning Management System. I, of course, would only accept sponsorship from companies and products that I am very fond of. So please check out their website at d2l.com slash pulsepodcast to learn more. In the interest of full disclosure, my institution, the University of the Sciences, uses D2L Brightspace. I also invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is RodsPods. As always, I post links to the things we talk about on my show notes website at www.rodspulsepodcast.com. So my topic today is a bit of a departure from what I usually cover. Normally, my podcasts cover the latest educational technologies, or recently we had a, several of what I call the COVID converted uh, edition. This is sort of uh, in between. Today, my interview is with Bridget Gray, Chief Impact Officer of Perscolas on diversity, equity, and inclusion in basic education. Perscolas is a national skills training nonprofit that provides tuition-free courses across the country. It works closely with students to make sure they have the right tools necessary to learn from home during this pandemic. We discuss training for those traditionally underrepresented in technology careers. They offer 15-week boot camp-style training sessions. Their training is market-driven, technical, and professional skills training. And of course, like many other institutions, they've moved from in-class to online training during the pandemic. We talk about their tech equipment challenges, lack of a universal broadband infrastructure, their funding sources, their curriculum development, including partnerships that they have, and articulation agreements with academic institutions giving credit. In fact, they just announced a new relationship with the Western Governors University as their national university partner. So without further ado, here's my interview with Bridget Gray. Bridget, it's so nice to meet you. I'm anxious to hear about uh, what you do and your organization, Per Scholas. So uh, Bridget, why don't you tell me first a little bit about yourself and how how you became um, involved with Per Scholas. Yeah, so I, as you mentioned, I am our Chief Impact Officer and I've been with the organization now almost seven years in January. I actually cannot even believe that. And um, I got involved with Perspolis through just two and a half decades of work in the space around helping people um, access training to be able to meet a career pathway and ultimately be able to be self-sustaining in their lives. And um, I initially started all the way back when President Clinton signed Welfare Reform Act. And I started doing some work around women and helping to move women from public assistance to employment. 
I mean, move that along the pathway of AmeriCorps. So I've, I've been in the civic engagement space and then went to work at Year Up as a deputy director for the Virginia office. And then I found my way to Prescola's. And so my entire kind of career pathway has always been around helping people connect to education um, and education and training that leads to a really um, life-sustaining, financially sustaining career pathway. And then on the flip side, uh, making sure that businesses have access to diverse talent. I'm sorry, access to? Diverse talent. Diverse talent. Okay, got it. So um, you're pretty wide ranging. You're in several cities. Where where are you actually located? So I am actually based in Maryland. Uh, I live in Columbia, Maryland. So I'm right in between D.C. and Baltimore. Uh, But we have an office located in Silver Spring. Uh, and I launched that, that site back in 2014. That's how I, I first came to for school as a managing director. And then a year later, I moved over to our national leadership team. And so my okay. role now is responsible for all of our 14 locations, uh, our training model, um, delivery of our training, all of our, our outcomes, um, the impact that those outcomes have with internally, externally with businesses. Uh, so that is my role right now. Okay. Uh, I noticed you have a um, an office in my backyard in Philadelphia. We do. What's the basic uh, philosophy? And what I know you you uh, have courses. Um, uh, who are they? Those courses. You know, who, who's your main audience? Um, your main students for those courses? And but give, give me a flavor of the kind of courses that you offer. Yeah, and so just a, a little bit about Perscola's just in general, we, we are a national organization. We've been advanced in economic mobility for 25 years. We've done this through training and professional development and robust employer connections. And our audience are folks that are um, who we would describe as traditionally underrepresented in technology. We want to make sure we're preparing them for high growth careers in the industry. Um, We partner with employers to make sure we're building a more diverse talent pool uh, and directly connecting graduates to career opportunities. Um, So this could be working with businesses from Fortune 500 companies to innovation, innovative startups uh, across the U.S. And so our target audience are those who are traditionally underrepresented in tech. You can see that as people that are black and brown, women, uh, young adults, people who have um, diversity in their education backgrounds meaning they may not have a post-secondary degree or they may have gone to college and didn't acquire the degree or in some cases did get their degree but still can't um, break into the tech space. Right. That's certainly a need from from what I've experienced. You know, women, um, minorities, well, women are not minorities, but uh, <laughs> they are certainly underrepresented uh, mm-hmm. underrepresented in, in tech. And uh, I, I've heard horrible stories about women that are trying to get into tech and how they're trolled uh, by people on the web and so forth. And, and uh, I, I don't know how you, uh, how you combat that, but um, so your emphasis is on tech training at, at, yeah. at what level now are these all high school graduates or they're older or how does it work? So our training is 18 and over with the largest population between uh, 25 and 35. Um, that's the highest age range. Our average age is about 29. And um, but the next age range that we see creeping up is the 18 to 24. 
year old age range. So as kids are trying to transition from high school and really figure out what their pathway looks like, especially um, young people who um, college may not be part of their pathway for multiple reasons, first generation college um, and not able to attend financially, academically, it could be a number of reasons why. And so we do see an uptick in the 18 to 24 year olds, those who may have gone and done something right out of high school, but it just didn't work. And so now they're just working what we would call really low wage jobs and trying to figure out what their pathway needs to look like. Our training is anything from entry level to mid-level skills training. So um, entry level is the basic of how do you work on a help desk? And so end user support roles, um, that's our highest uh, populated training because that's people who are really trying to break themselves into the tech space. And um, those are in partnership with organizations like CompTIA because we do provide industry-based credentials. All of our training tracks are what you would consider boot camp style. So they're 15 weeks and under. And we're making sure that people get the credential if it is a, a course that offers a credential and they get to employment faster. We partner very closely with the employers to make sure that our curriculum is re- meeting the needs of the industry. And um, and we're really nimble. So if something is not meeting the needs, we're okay with, with uh, adjusting that to make sure it does. But the goal for us is to work with employers to make sure whatever we're training, there are, there are jobs that are waiting for people. Um, and then we do what we call our market-driven training which is any training track that's open to the market, right? It's it's driven by the market. So if the industry is saying cyber is the big thing you should be focusing on, we focus on cyber along with other training tracks. But we also do something called customize, which is very specific to a business where they've uh, had a difficult time filling their talent pipeline. They're also looking for a diverse talent pipeline. So we customize curriculum in partnership with them. And then we recruit where they have a, a, pretty big hand in looking at the talent pipeline, being very engaged with them, but we're recruiting for them to be able to hire. So there's two lines of business that we have and I manage the training, execution of training for both of those. Now, I know you have physical locations. So in the past, was it mostly uh, face-to-face training at your uh, locations or a combination of that and and online? And now with the pandemic, are you doing most everything online, I assume? So it was traditional um, full-time, Monday through Friday from nine to four in person. And when pandemic hit uh, in March, we pivoted really quickly. I would say um, we pivoted over 500 people in less than a week from on-site to a remote environment. And all we've done now is really focus on how to make our remote instruction tighter, tighter, um, more impactful keeping people engaged, realizing that they have a ton of things that are happening in their own personal lives as well. So we've had to do some adjustments around how we instruct, um, looking at new modalities of teaching, new platforms, but we are in a remote environment. Our goal is to make sure that we do have training on site once it becomes safe to do that. But we will now keep our remote training as an option for people because it's turned out to be really successful. Understood. Yeah, uh, that's. I mean, it's happening across the board in in higher education. I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that. Uh, you yeah. know, I'm not sure we're ever going to get back to uh, <laughs> the old normal. I don't um, either. <laughs> <laughs> two related questions: How much does it cost the students, or do they? You could give scholarships, and 
when they're working from home uh, with the online courses, what if they don't have the equipment? You know, that, that's, that's been a, a big issue, I know, even for some of our students. Uh, they, they might not have a great internet connection. So yeah. uh, how, how do you handle that? Yeah, so the first answer to your first question is training for us is at no cost to our learner. And what I mean by that is there's no tuition cost. Uh, we take care of all tuition, books, uh, materials, equipment, all of those things. Um, there is a cost, though, uh, when you think in terms of time. And when we were on site, transportation, um, there's no type of stipend or anything. It really is. All of our learners have some skin in the game, is, as you could say. But we take care of the, the cost of training. And part of that is because when we think about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, we don't want to be a reason why people can't get into a um, their career field and be able to earn dollars that will take care of them and their families. So if we if we can lessen that by offering training and no cost, then we do that. The equipment is a big issue. I mean, when we transitioned the 500 learners from on-site to off-site, the first thing we did was did an inventory with them. We asked people, do you have tech equipment at home that you can use? Do you have stable Wi-Fi connections. And the first thing we did was we started doing loaners. So we built an entire uh, tech equipment loaner program where we had all of our learners sign that they would return the equipment at the end of training. Uh, but then that's evolved and morphed because now we're realizing that if you didn't have equipment to train, then you need that equipment to also look for a job. Sure. And so now we've um, launched our thousand careers campaign we're uh, raising dollars for the end of the year for tech equipment. We want to be able to give that to our learners so that they're able to keep the equipment that we provide to them. And it's part of their ongoing process. Internet connection is interesting to me. You know, we've been talking about the digital divide in this country for years. The pandemic was fascinating because as a country, we, we always look at ourselves as ahead of everybody else. But it took a pandemic to realize from a technology standpoint, we're actually really far behind when you even have companies that are weren't even able to transition their staff to a remote environment or people that were so used to working off of work that's stored on a server and they got home and they couldn't find their documents. And they're like, oh, I can't find my documents. So I'm realizing there's two things. The, the learners that come through for scholars are no different than your average person who's working. Everyone has some type of challenge in the tech space, right? Whether it's a company who weren't able to initially transition people, even thinking about onboarding new staff members. Like when we first uh, moved into this remote environment, we had companies telling us we may have to slow down hiring because we don't know how to onboard people in a remote environment. So when you start to think about just all the uses for technology and where there needs to be a concentration of training and skilling people and making sure everyone, regardless of where you are, your technology is updated, that's really, really important. And for us, it's even more important for people that are underrepresented because your access may be very different from people who have it, but just don't know all the ways to use it. Right. I mean, uh, I even know from my own experience, you know, I, I've been a techie for most of my uh, adult <laughs> life, but... It's like the uh, shoemakers family. I ended up with the hand-me-down uh, computers, and and uh, you know when I first started working from home in March, I had a computer that was oh, gosh six or seven years old, and it was barely keeping up. Fortunately, I was able to go in and and uh, they let me take take home my 
my work computer, so I'm uh, better situated now. But so, where does you had your... a dinosaur then? You had a dinosaur. Yeah. We a dinosaur computer, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, but I think one other point I want to make about this is it's not even about the the technology equipment, the the infrastructure. You know, as a country as as amazing as the U.S. is. There should be no reason that infrastructure is this big of an issue across the U.S. And it should be open and there should be access for everyone. Infrastructure issues are not just about financial costs. It's about whether or not people can have access to broadband in their environment. So we had to mail out like MiFi's so people could just get connected. And then the MiFi's don't hold up really well. And so and then you take into consideration all of these amazing parents who are trying to parent and take care of and be caregivers, but you've got your kids at home and they need Wi-Fi and they need a laptop. So you're trying to share that and come to Perscolis. So it just creates an entire situation. So for us, it's really about providing the everything, the training and the equipment for people who need it. And we're seeing on average about six people out of each of our training cycles that will need some type of tech equipment. Wow. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, the access, especially in rural areas, is is a real problem throughout the country. I, I totally uh, agree and understand. Uh, wh- where does your funding come from? Do you, you get donations from um, like equipment or uh, wh- where does your major funding come from? Yes, yeah, so our major funding comes from ph- philanthropy. So that's corporate philanthropy through corporate social responsibility or either your traditional foundations. And then we do have a small amount of some government funding through government-based contracts, those types of, of funding. You mentioned um, mentioned some of your training, especially when it comes to, say, programming. Uh, there's a lot of base camp type. Mm-hmm. Some of it is actually free, some pretty good free content out there. Do you develop all your own content or you take advantage of you know a lot of the free content that's already out there, especially when it comes to uh, doing this online these days? So we develop our own content. And the reason why is because oftentimes we do work really closely with employers to make sure that it's in line with what, and and when I say work with employers, I don't mean like every single employer can say change this and change that, but we look at what is the common theme across uh, or companies. And that's what we teach too. And it's important for us to do that because we, we are so closely related to employment. So for us, training is not just about training and, and making sure people have the skills for training, it is about the job on the other end. So we work closely with the employers to make sure that the curriculum is sound and it's one that would um, put people in line for jobs. And so we do build our own content. On the other side, though, we do partner with like AWS Restart. We um, AWS Restart was a UK-based model that um, came to the Americas and partner with them on their cloud fundamentals training. So we teach their curriculum. For our alumni, there are a lot of Google certs that we're offering now. So Google gives us a bit of their curriculum and then we we work that into our curriculum to make sure that we can teach it. So there are, there are some handoffs in certain places, but for the most part, we create our own. Interesting. So do you, are the classes, uh, they used to be synchronous because they were on site. Um, how does it work these days? Uh, do you still uh, run them in more synchronous fashion? You know, you have fixed hours uh, for the training or do you use a, uh, do, you know, being a techie, I, I like to ask if you use a learning management system to to uh, hold, uh, you know, content for your courses. How, how does it work? 
we are synchronous and asynchronous. Um, so we still do some lecture. Um, we usually try to do about 90 minutes in the morning and 90 minutes in the afternoon. And then we have a learning management system that we use with Canvas. And that's where our learners, all of their work is. Um, they can access it. So it is synchronous and asynchronous. And then we've created more opportunities for our learners to connect with each other to make sure they're forming study groups so that they're able to also continue to, to learn from each other. And our training, I, I point out, is that our training is technical, but we also have embedded into our training too professional skills. So that's really, really important as well. So even though four days a week is, is devoted to the tech piece, one day a week is devoted to professional skills and that's uh, synchronous and asynchronous as well. Interesting. So you say, so a student that's enrolled is going to be participating in training for five days a week. So do you, do you run sort of a semester plan or so many weeks? How, how many weeks does, uh, do your courses run? So we uh, have ongoing enrollment, uh, rolling enrollment, and um, our classes usually run about 15 weeks at the max. And there's about a week or two week gap between the next cohort starting. So across 15 markets, I think I looked at it the other day, we're running like 133 cycles in 2021. Uh, so we're consistently running classes. And now that we're in this remote environment, we see our ability to run them even more than when people would have been just on site. So we will have classes that will run on site, classes that will run in a remote environment. But we run cohorts all the time. I see. Um, do you do you have any um, partnerships or articulation agreements with any you know community colleges or, or other higher ed institutions? We do. So we've had relationships with colleges like Franklin University in uh, Columbus, Ohio. We had an articulation agreement with them, and they were able to offer credits for some of our courses and uh, also offer free books for those who would enroll at Franklin University. We've had partnerships with some of the CUNY um, schools. We've had partnerships with Gutman in New York, where we offered our training on site. Those students were enrolled in Gutman, but they were using a model of our instruction. But we have a really amazing partnership right now, and we haven't formally announced this. So I'm going to, I can talk about it now because it'll be announced in two weeks and this may not air until December. Right. So, um, but I'm really excited to say about a month ago, I signed an agreement with Western Governors University to be our official uh, national university partner. And um, I'm really excited about this because of just the model of their university. It's 100% online. It is not semester-based. It gives people the opportunity to learn at a faster pace. So you determine how quickly you get to your degree. Um, and then we were able to crosswalk our curricula with all of the courses we offer, which is a lot of courses we offer. And we were able to get enough credits across the board that would make it really um, attractive to someone coming to our training uh, the ability to transfer credits from other universities that they were that they've already attended, but maybe not had a degree. Um, we're also looking at they'll be giving us a five percent discount for all of our learners that that enroll. And then the other thing that I'm really excited about is we're looking at scholarships. And so, really, again, wanting to make sure that people have access to ongoing education that doesn't prevent a financial burden for them and that they're able to continue to grow. It's not enough for people to get a tech job, right? You get your first tech job, 
you may start out at 40K a year, but how do you get to the 80, 90, 100K? How do you get thriving wages? How do you advance yourself? And so we see that as the place where for schoolers, we're really pushing really hard is looking at the second, third job where your wages start to thrive and you start to think more about asset building and wealth building. The wealth gap in this country is just ridiculous. You know, we want to be optimistic that at one point, one day we can close that wealth gap, but it's so broad. So how do you start to build the asset gap, right? And so part of what we're looking at is education is really important to that. And a lot of companies want you to continue to advance your skills. So having this partnership with Western Governors University, we've had partnerships in some of our markets, but we've never had a national university partner. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. So I had no idea. So so what, what percentage of your students then do accumulate credits through these different uh, arrangements? So with Western Governors University, all of our learners will accumulate credits because every class that we have has credits attached to them now. So we were able to crosswalk all of our curricula with them, all of the courses that we offer. And then the other place where I'm the part two version of this will be once you are an alum with Perscolas, what's the additional training that we offer? So we upskill and continue to engage with our learners when they become alumni for two years. And so through that two-year period, there are additional training tracks that you can take with us. We're crosswalking that with WGU as well, because that will give them more credits. So every course. I see. So now, but but you don't, you don't, um, you're not qualified to give a, an associate's degree yourself. So it's all through you're these not. kinds of partnerships. I see. It has to come through the partnership. Exactly. Now, what What's the hottest field these days? I mean, I always think in terms of programming. Uh, different programming languages. Um, certainly, cybersecurity must be really big these days. What what what's your uh, take on that? Hey, Rodney, you know all of the hottest tracks. You've named two of them already. So, cybersecurity is definitely still one that is popular, and one that you can grow in pretty quickly, salary wise. Software engineering, software development, still very much so. So, anything that's Java or any type of language, coding language. And then cloud is also really big, especially now that we're in a remote environment and a lot of companies are looking to move a lot of their work to the cloud. That has We've seen that. But you would be surprised at how many end-user supports are still needed across the country. And when, when we were thinking that, you know, five, 10 years from now, end-user support roles would probably diminish at some point, COVID... <laughs> helped us see, oh no, end user support roles are very much so needed because you still need someone to help you navigate your technology. But there's always those, what I call the sexy training tracks, which are the the coding and the cyber and the AWS. And and then we have end user support, which is really needed. That's great. Well, I I want to be respectful of your time. So I think uh, we're coming near the close, but I guess uh, what I wanted to get your your take on uh, sort of a final question here is what's your biggest need and what would you like to tell institutions of higher education, like like the one I'm associated with uh, about Perscolas? Yeah, so I'll answer the second one first, because I think that what I would, what I would say is See Perscolas as an organization that's a really good partner to post-secondary education, not a competition. And you can look at this in a couple of ways. One, one side of that is the K-12 space. 
and then there's the post-secondary, right? And then we're, we're falling right here in the middle, which we consider ourselves post-secondary as well. And so for us, it's really about how do we make sure we're all reaching the same people with the same goal? One of the things I've had conversations with colleges and universities about has been when you know someone is about to drop out and they're dropping out with a ton of debt, but they have no degree, send them to us. Let us help get them trained and skilled and help them get to their job and then help reroute them back through you. They started out in college and university, so they clearly want a degree, but let's not leave them out there kind of trying to figure it out and swim on their own because what will happen is they'll just keep going through the same process over and over and over. And then they have this debt hanging over their heads. And in the end, we all want the same thing. We all want to see people get to sustainable wages and sustainable careers. And what our need is, we need for higher ed to see us as a viable pathway, right? And to see us as a viable pathway, not just for people that you may think can't afford school, but also for people who have actually gone to school and still are not having the success of finding employment. Um, so we need to partner. We need to work together. That's what I would say is a need with the higher ed community, but really understanding that let's just make sure we don't let anybody fall through the crack together. Uh, that's great. Listen, I, I I learned a lot. I had no idea that you guys existed out there. And this is, uh, I'm happy to... Um, you know, promote your cause. And uh, yeah, I can, I, I really uh, get that about certainly the diversity angle and and not letting students fall through the cracks, because we certainly have students that, and in fact, you hear so much about students that start a program online and they drop out for whatever reason. And to, to have an alternative uh, for them, especially uh, in, in that you offer the, the, all this free training. It, sound, it sounds really wonderful. So I, I, I really appreciate what you're doing and uh, I, I wish you the best. And uh, thank you very much for talking to me and my audience today. Thank you so much too. And if you have any other questions, Ronnie, don't hesitate to email me. I'm happy to answer those. I will do. Thanks. Right. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I certainly learned a lot about this segment of education. Oftentimes, the ivory tower sort of looks down on what uh, used to be called uh, trade school or technical training. But this turns out to be a wonderful way for students who have been underprivileged to raise their education and convert to a academic credit institution. So look into their website and see if you can partner with them and use their services. I also include in my show notes links to two documents Encouraging Evidence on a Sector-Focused Advanced Strategy talks about some of the strategies from a study that helps to guide their programs and also job training that works. So stay tuned for the full song, the Christmas season, and until next time, have a great week. Christmas is coming now, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming now, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming now, Christmas is coming, now. Christmas is coming now, Christmas is coming, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas already, with the animated reindeer in the top hat wearing Yeti. Now I can be as festive as the next guy, but I still have firecrackers from the 4th of July. Come on, do I really need six months to shop? Might as well be Christmas nonstop. Pretty soon they'll be hanging up lights all over town, and it was just last week I finally took mine down. Please can 
can I get a break for my sake? All I'm asking for is one month without a fruitcake. Give me some time to recover from another year of drunken relatives and a pissed off little brother. Singing that stupid Jingle Bell song in the middle of July somehow seems wrong. I still got five months to go and I'm already sick of the ho ho ho. It's Christmas time again. Let's see what's on TV. It's Christmas time again. Well, we got Rudolph, Frosty. It's Christmas time again. Rudolph versus Frosty. It's Christmas time again. A CSI Christmas. The Christmas season causes great frustration. Getting longer and harder like a Viagra patient. I just need a vacation from the holiday cheer. And I don't think that I can take it for the rest of the year. And nobody is cheerful anyway. It's always give me the damn toys and get the fuck out my way. I can deal with that on December 23rd. But when it starts up in March, that's a little absurd. And then the charities, there's way too many. Begging me for money like I have any. And there's some idiot flapping his mouth like a flapjack. With his peace on earth and all that crap. I'd settle for peace in the kitchen. But that would mean my relatives would have to quit their bitches. And since I doubt that'll ever come about, it's Merry Christmas past the gravy and I try to tune them out. It's Christmas time again. Alright, let's see what Santa brought for me. It's Christmas time again. Huh, I already have one of these. It's Christmas time again. Hey, wait a minute. This is mine. It's Christmas time again. I've been looking for this. My Christmas usually consists of this. Fighting back the urge to shop with my fist. Sending out cards to people I never see. And trying to keep the dog from peeing on the tree. And then the whole family has to search for direction so we can find our way to church. I still find it ironic and a little bit odd that my kids believe in Santa Claus but not in God. But I ain't taking my kids cause it's too weird to see some child molester in a fake beard. I don't care if they kick and scream. I ain't doing anything till after Halloween. I can only buy damaged and discount due to the amount in my bank account. But I have no motivation to shop when I know I'm still paying off gifts from three Christmases ago. It's Christmas time again And again, and again, and again, and again It's Christmas time again And again, and again, and again, and again It's Christmas time again And again, and again, and again, and again It's Christmas time again What do you mean again? More like still it for today's episode thank you very much for listening don't forget to give rod feedback you can leave comments on his blog or send email to rod at rodspulsepodcast.com the preceding audio commentary is the product of the author dr rodney murray and does not represent the official viewpoint of the university of the sciences or any other institution or company